loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that could come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Anne Papiotti. Anne's endured some of life's most brutal blows, her college best friend deliberately stealing her high school boyfriend, the loss of an infant child just shortly after he was thought to be out of danger, a belligerent and abusive husband, a child born with epilepsy, family suicide, being bitten by a poisonous snake that resulted in months of chronic illness, and more. Despite all that, Anne found the gifts hidden within each experience, the gift of choice in how to respond to the challenge. Her new book, The Gift of Shift, Discover the Key Within to Unlock Your Best Life. She uses many of these and other experiences to show how one can open the gift lovingly. Instead of freezing up, becoming resistant, giving into depression, all the other choices, we can make affirming life choices for a path forward. She's an international life leadership and relationship coach dedicated to waking people up to living their best lives. And she captivates audiences and and inspires with her personal experiences. She has attained the International Coach Federation Accredited Professional Certified Coach Level, is a certified practitioner of neuro-linguistics programming, and is a member of the Association of Integrative Psychology. Welcome, Anne. Hi, thank you, Cheryl. I'm happy to be here with you today. Happy to have you. Uh, you've had many, many loss experiences. You're perfect for this show in that sense, because um, in your book, The Gift of Shift, you don't skip over the pain and the time that comes before the shift. Uh, and I appreciate that because I don't I don't haven't known people to really be able to skip that part. Would you agree? I I would agree. I think people try. I've met people who've tried to avoid it or numb it. And I can say I've certainly been among those. But I, ultimately, we have to go through it. Even though it's uncomfortable, it's not fun, it's, it's excruciating. We have to go through it to arrive at the other side. And, and that's what I try to tell people who are 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 there and they're facing it and they sometimes don't know how to feel or what to do and and I tell them there is another side come on through I promise you if you will just start the process and start that journey it is a healing one and grieving is good and I'd love the name of your show just for that reason Cheryl and, you know, I th- I think uh, I was thinking about this as you were speaking, that a lot of what I notice with people in that stage before the shift, uh, what they're actually experiencing is not just a simple uh, emotion, but they're experiencing their own resistance. Um I was noticing at the beginning of the pandemic that I seem to be rolling along with it, even though, of course, many losses and great changes. 
because I was very comfortable with registering my negative experiences and, and continuing forward. And a lot of other people were judging themselves or um, telling themselves their loss didn't matter. You know, whatever it was that, that interrupted it. Did you find that as well? I did. And even one of the chapters in the book is the gift of JOMO. And any of your audience who may not be familiar with that acronym, JOMO is Joy of Missing Out, which is the opposite of FOMO, Fear of Missing Out. And while I was sharing ultimately the story of my kind of starting over, giving up my career to support my husband in advancing his and everything that came up for me with kind of doing the dance between fear and joy in that choice, I recognized that while I was writing this chapter, the pandemic had begun because my co-author and I, Tracy McDonald, had begun writing this book in January of 2020. But by the time I got to this chapter, we were, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, not no one knowing what was going to happen. I realized everyone was in this same dance at the same time, FOMO and JOMO. And we had people judging this experience in one of these kind of two ways. And sometimes in both ways on the same day, maybe within the same hour, Dancing back and forth with fear and joy. You know, one moment, yay, I get to stay home. And the next moment, oh my gosh, I can't go to my gym or I can't do this and I can't do that. And other people saying, okay, well then I'm going to learn how to sew or garden. And it became this, this dance, literally sometimes minute to minute, hour to hour. But some people we saw get stuck in that resistance mindset that you mentioned and judging the um, what was taken away and the loss of this and also or in the fear, that victim mindset, the fear of what was going to happen or what the virus meant or you know, the, free, the loss of freedoms by being mandated what to do and how to do it. And then other people were like, okay, now I can spend time with my family. Now I get to do this in a different way. Or we saw this kind of awakening of choice in general, choosing relationships, choosing jobs, choosing uh, from a higher kind of consciousness, if you will, of what really mattered in life. And I think this came from this this stance of, yeah. I, I like what you're saying about the interplay between all the losses and, of course, the obvious feelings about all the losses. And some people, you know, obviously lost people to COVID itself, right? I mean, there's an astronomical right. number of people grieving loved ones. Uh, it's It's been put yeah. at what? Yeah. Uh, nine million or something um, mm. people are grieving mm-hmm. those those levels of losses, but we all had losses of one kind and another all at the same time. And some people, I, I've interviewed several authors who wrote books during the last few years because they everything else stopped and they had the time. They'd had the idea before, but they hadn't had the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's sort yeah. of the question is, okay, this is happening. What am I going to do with it instead of why is this happening or, you know, any exactly. of the other resistances? 
Did you find that too? And, that kind of had a little more, a little more space for, for instance, writing the book. Well, it's interesting because I, again, we started it in January prior, but what happened because there were so many people struggling with the pandemic, I really didn't have the time and space to write the book because I, my client, uh, uh-huh. my clientele space kind of grew because people, because everything went to Zoom. I, every, people were asking people who had preferred in person. I had just moved to Texas from Montreal and my, my business had not gotten established here yet. And I had left having an office with an in-person practice, teaching life courses at a women's center, leading, leading life support groups. And my one-on-ones were in a, in a, in an office, you know, in a building. And so I had just a few people on zoom that did not live local to me. So I'd moved to Texas. I had maintained my Zoom clientele, had a few people follow me with Zoom, but it really wasn't the thing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just take some breather time here. I was grieving my relocating. I was grieving my starting over. I was. What a, what a profound time to move, huh, (laughs) Anne? What a profound time to move right before all of this. Yes. And Cheryl, I went through my grief and was coming out when all this happened. So I was, the gift revealed itself. And this is what I want everyone to, to notice. There's always a gift. The gift for me was I was in another country. The border shut down. Had I not moved, I would have been cut off from my family. My, one of my children was in university in the state. We would have been cut off from him. So there were so many blessings. We don't see them in the moment. They're not revealed in that darkness, in that time. But if we keep moving through out of that resistance, I grieved leaving Montreal after 14 years. My, my friends that I had named now as family were there. My business, my practice, here I go again. I had given up a 17-year corporate career to move to Montreal for my husband's career. But I had started over. I had created something new there, and I was happy and settled. But that's when we get pushed, right? (laughs) Well, there's no permanent settlement, is there? (laughs) There is not. You know, change is what's inevitable. So here it came. So I did that dance again with Somo or Jomo, and I chose once again joy, which to me is love. And here I came. And I had to remind myself that choice every day. And I kept choosing joy and love, even though I was like, here I go again. You know, I, I'd have my little pity party and my, I, you know, I don't have any friends here and I got to start over. I don't have kids in that age group where I meet the moms again. And here I, I was, you know, having to, again, every day, make the choice that would empower me with positivity and allow me to go out and create what I needed for myself, that it was, you know, it's, there was grief there. There was grief and had to move through that to get beyond it. And so I started writing the book in January thinking I had time because I hadn't grown my practice to what it was in Montreal and didn't expect to, but the pandemic brought it back to me. I'm now teaching in Montreal again because they went everything went Montreal went uh, virtual 
So my support groups, my women's center, personal development courses, and a big client base came back to me because of uh, the need. That, that's interesting. Of course, p- people in my profession and yours did get quite busy, many of us, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. People really needed spaces, right? So uh, one thing I found myself saying a lot is we're all in the same ocean, but we're not in the same boat. Um, oh, yeah. You know, (laughs) some people had just infinite time. Other people were, uh, you know, if you didn't lose your employment, you were probably working harder trying to pivot to to do things differently. I noticed that with all my kids. Um, My my adjustment was fairly easy compared to theirs. They were having to reinvent all kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. just to keep doing what they usually did, you know? So it's an interesting yeah. example of, of this idea that um, we have to look for, accept reality as it is, have the feelings we have, and then look for where the learning and growth it can, mm-hmm. can be, where we can go forward, yes? Yes. Absolutely. And, and that's what I love about taking time to reflect and look back to understand the lessons from everything that we've gone through before and then look within and see, are we holding on to any kind of negative emotion from the past so we can release it, so we can move forward with positivity and and growth and that and to me that's where the resiliency is and that's freedom and peace and calm and move forward into the next thing and trust me I had to remind myself of what I learned leaving Atlanta to go to Montreal when it was time to leave Montreal and come to the Dallas area and to remind myself of and remember what you did this is what how the community you created this is this is what it is about you that allowed you to do this and to be happy and to um, embrace a new community. And you knew no one and you had no support. And while you were there, you went through these challenges. But look where you are now, not wanting to leave. So guess what? You can replicate and duplicate that. And this is why Cheryl, Tracy, and I designed uh, the book, The Gift of Ships, the way that we did. It's just a compilation of short personal stories so that it's not overwhelming for the reader. It's not a self-help book that's academic and, you know, you got to sit down and try to figure out what it's trying to say to you. Short stories, relatable stories, common life things. But then after each story, and by the way, the story is designed to just illustrate how we went from sort of powerless, negative ways of thinking and feeling and showing up regarding the circumstance in our life to shifting into a more powerful way of thinking, feeling, and being. We couldn't change the circumstance, so we changed our perspective, which changed how we experienced it. And then we asked the reader to to reflect. Here's five questions. Reflect how this thing has played out in your life, because we've all experienced betrayal. We've all had to hold on to hope after a diagnosis or, or something. We've had to find courage to do something that we knew we had to do, even though it was difficult. We've all had to quiet that judgmental voice in our head, that critical 
uh, roommate, so to speak, we've all had to to learn how to or to choose forgiveness for someone that even though it they didn't deserve it necessarily. So we hold that space in the book for people to reflect on the theme in their life, and then if they choose to to rewrite their story about this event, this circumstance, in a more empowering way, so they can take that lesson really grasp it and move forward when i think about the stories that you tell in the book um it it's i'm comparing two things you talked about one was leaving an abusive relationship and the other is staying even even with irritations right (laughs) your Mm, first marriage and your second (laughs) so the right answer for those two circumstances totally different Uh, there was Mm -hmm. the right thing for you the first time was just get out of here. It's not improvable. Right. But the second marriage, how do I accept and not personalize who the other person is? And, um, you know, I loved your story about leaving for the wedding, uh, without your husband because he was late, you know, for instance, um, Exactly. You know, that was that was the approach in that circumstance to uh, empower yourself to take care of you. Uh, and yes. you, you got a pretty good result, which is probably because he cares very, a great deal about you. Right. But I've I've suggested right, right. people taking separate cars many times in couples therapy. For just this kind of a reason. So that story really stood out to me. Oh, good. I There are so many people that I find let um, what I call roommate issues, you know, those things that are not based on values and the things that brought them together. They let these little things kind of build up and create these great chasms of divide between them or mountains, if you will. And it's those little things. And then I work a lot with separation and divorce in support. And what we find is, you know, when when it says irreconcilable differences and you peel it back, oh my gosh, this marriage was, or this relationship was, was salvageable if, if, if they hadn't waited so long till there was so much, again, resistance. To one another. And in this chapter wow. about my second marriage, the gift of learning how to say I do to you first, it was understanding that rather tried to change him and stay frustrated constantly about things that were not about deal breaker values was to be true to me and allow him to be him. And I think when we can learn that, it just so many things. <laughs> so many things. It does. But then the other thing I would I would say is when I'm working with a couple and they're fighting about a million little things, it usually does stand in for a bigger thing, right? Autonomy versus oh, yeah, versus <laughs> unity and all kinds of other things. So um, if you start grappling with those small things. And figuring out where that balance is, it strengthens the relationship, don't you believe? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's I love seeing uh, couples actually get down and do that work and come down and see what, you know, what is it? 
And I love that you're able to work with couples and help them find that and, and see. So what are the bigger issues and are there, do they, what did bring them together in the first place? And then what's driving the wedge to, to push them apart? And, and what do they really want next? And sometimes, and what I find the lesson is for everyone, <laughs> for everything, whether it's uh, grief or, or resistance or let's just, the lesson is always in letting go somewhere, somehow, something, the lessons in letting go. Also, you seem quite um, action oriented, I guess I would say that you recognize your circumstance and then you take action that takes you in a, in a new direction. Um, and I, I, yeah. I imagine that as a creative process more than anything else. Yeah. And it, it took me a while to get there, but let me, let me kind of preface that with, because I see this in a lot of people also is that, I've always been sort of solution focused and I was someone, I had a happy childhood, Cheryl. I, it wasn't until I was 20 when I realized that it, that, you know, life had a way of pulling us under, so to speak. So I didn't have any resiliency, but what I did have, I guess, was determination because I mean, everything didn't go smoothing smoothly for me. Like I remember I had to do almost everything twice. Like I try out for, drill team in high school, like the high steppers with the band. And I didn't make it first time, but I didn't let that knock me down. I had a determination. I said, okay, what can I do differently and better and improve so I can try out next year? So I didn't, I didn't have that. I did have the, I mean, I'm sure I had the critical voice that said, you weren't good enough, but I didn't have it where it lasted long. I was able to pick myself up and go, pick myself up and go and try again. So there was something about me that was resilient. Let's, I'll say that. But it was when I was 20, when my best friend betrayed me uh, with my, the only guy that, I, the, the guy that I thought I was going to marry, that I lost the two most important people in my life. And I lost them to one another. And I did not know how to resolve this. I didn't know. What do you, it how must do you have come as a here? shock. It must have come as a shock if your if your your uh, problems were typically correctable. That's not a correctable yeah, problem, yeah. is it? <laughs> you know, it's you'd not. have to grieve it. Yeah. It's just a pure loss. It was just a pure loss, and I and I and I write in the book and I, that I talk about. I always expected to lose at love. Right. I knew that that was a process in dating until you find the one you're going to marry. Never expected divorce. I, that was not anywhere, but I always expected I'm going to lose it. Love. It's going to hurt, but that's okay. That's what love songs are about. I knew that I could go through that kind of pain and get back on my feet, but I never, ever, ever, ever expected I would lose a girlfriend. It just wasn't in my, anywhere in my, vision that that was something that could happen. And like you say, this was not a solvable loss. It wasn't something you get up and you try again. This, you know, as kids, if there was ever conflict, there was conflict resolution. You got sent to the principal's office or parents sat you down or, you know, there was always someone and then you went back on the playground and you were fine. But this was nothing I could solve. And this is where I lost 
myself. I lost who I was. And this is when I couldn't quiet that self-deprecating voice that was like, what was wrong? What's wrong with you? You weren't good enough. You weren't a good enough friend. What could you have done differently? What could you have done better? And that betrayal that was, a, you know, happened and was done between them became constant betrayal, self-inflicted, right? So this, I, it was, um, I was, I caught the over and unders, overeating, overdrinking, underperforming, underachieving. I completely stopped showing up for life as me. Mm. I couldn't just get back up. I couldn't get back on my feet. It took a long time. I wrecked, I, what I didn't recognize was that I wasn't allowing myself to grieve. I just kept self-punishing. And that's what I see for people um, often get mixed in grief. There's a grief that people get stuck in that looks like this. I didn't know what to call it at the time, but it becomes this, a mask. I eventually kind of pulled up, but I was wearing a different mask then. I started achieving. I lost the weight. I changed schools. I did, you know, the the right thing, so to speak, but there was this hole in me. I wasn't, I, I had not healed myself. I had not fully grieved. I was still wounded. My soul was wounded. There was still an apathy in me about me. And that led me into the next toxic relationship, which ended up being um, with my husband, my first husband, which was the other chapter you mentioned, The Gift of Grits, which was where I ended up having to find the courage to get out after years. After years, um, eight years before I tried to get out, and I knew at three months, three months that I had made a mistake. But I just got right in the boat. That, that, was, a radical, <laughs> that was a radical yes. uh, time period, but, um, you know, happens all the time, right? Because then we get so wrapped up in the, we increase the mistake by not recognizing, not being willing to recognize the mistake. But then I also... I also feel as if, and I would like to talk more with you about this after the break, that the things that I notice make grief the very hardest are betrayal and regret. Um, Mm. So maybe we could Mm -hmm. talk about that a little more when we come back from the break. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Anne Papiotti, you can go to skyviewcoaching.com. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp, 
facebook.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Anne Papiotti about her new book, The Gift of Shift. And before the break, uh, we ju- we, I, I um, kind of made a placeholder talking uh, to, to be sure and talk about betrayal and regret, which of course is what you were referring to, I think, in this early crushing loss. Um, and they, they can, I've noticed that those two things can stop people up for quite a long time. Um, those two more than any other part of, of grief. Has that been your experience as well? It has, and I'm sorry I was dropped a little. Regret. Yes, you know when someone is is saying, "Why didn't I spend more time with them?" or "Why, you know, uh, kind of a self betrayal." Actually, I didn't. I don't feel I did what I would have, what I would have uh, approved of. Done should have done to have changed this relationship, and regret is just like. It's like this picture that, you know, this Punisher with a whip, it's just, un, un, it's relentless. Regret is relentless. Relentless. And um, I, yeah, regret's relentless. And it, it really continues the trauma. It's like putting your hand on a hot stove and leaving it there and just letting it sizzle. Regret yeah. is punishing and it, it serves nothing. It changes nothing and it's when we can um off i think all change can kind of start with kindness and if we could choose self-compassion some kindness turn back to ourselves and say i did the best i could at the time with what i knew and the emotional awareness or wherewithal i had at the time and for it for and offers yes. some forgiveness and just a little kindness. Yeah. Maybe there's also in that um uh a, a need to recognize that if you're not in an emergency situation, uh the likely thing is you get used to uh a kind of dailiness. You know, I, I'm reflecting on the almost a decade that my wife was sick. 
She was never well. Mm -hmm. She was always going to die, right? But it just went on an incredibly long time. And we never lost that awareness because it could happen any minute, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so we weren't li- we weren't living in a kind of dailiness that um, lulls you. And um, yeah. I recall when I um, met my now wife. We've now been married for um, almost twenty four years. Uh, when when we met each other, maybe six months in, she said, "Cheryl, there's no emergency." Right. I was I was a little too I was a little too um, forceful in live now, live now, you know, just like calm down. It's okay. But there's a loss in that. Right. Um, the loss of that kind of sense of if not now, when? And uh, I think yeah, ever yeah. since I've been um, putting a lot of attention into striking that balance, not not uh, being so intent on making every moment count that I'm, you know, tired all the time, but, but also not losing the awareness that life is not a given. Uh, I can, yeah. I, I can, I was just sitting here feeling for you as you spoke that and recognizing that what a, a transition you have had to make to find that balance, but how important it is in, in anything to have balance. But, I, but I love that your wife brought that to your awareness that this is not an emergency, that this is, this is a time to, you can relax into this relationship, that this is, this is different. And I was just having this conversation last night with my um, husband's cousin who's here, and she just lost her husband in February. And he had a long-term illness, as your first wife did. And so, like you, it was that, you know, they did not drift into that lull, as you mentioned. They were keenly aware of that every moment mattered and that every conversation and and um, and, and they were fully anticipating his passing at any moment. And so the anticipatory grief had already been experienced. So she feels like her grief now is mild. And I found her kind of minimizing that grief. And that's a whole other topic. But anyway, <laughs> uh, com- and compare, comparing it to someone else that, um, who just lost someone that I had, uh, I attended a funeral last night for, but it's, it is a balance because I can imagine, I'm just imagining because I've not experienced that you having to find that balance now to be able to enjoy life without that urgency attached to it. Right. But we can, <laughs> but we do, you know, guess just, we never know what we have or how long we have. Doesn't come with. No, a, we, we, were, we don't get we a calling talking, card. Right, right. That's for sure. Uh, we were talking mm-hmm. earlier about, um, you know, this uh, kind of the the ways that we might give ourselves a hard time. And you're you, you're telling me your your friend is feeling a, an easeful quality with grief. That implies to me that they grappled with it before he died. Because mm-hmm. I know that the the cruelest 
um, period uh, around my wife's death turned out to be, looking back, um, the initial couple of years of, of panic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you don't let that go off your radar, it, the fact is you can... You can't be prepared. I say this all the time. You you can't be prepared, but you can prepare. So if your friend was always talking about it with her husband, if it was in their awareness all the time, there's a way that she may have found herself more prepared than some people when he finally died. Not that it doesn't hurt, but just that she she developed some tools. Do you think so? I do. I do. I, I think it was still a shock that, you know, the day it happened, but I do believe she had developed some tools. I agree that uh, she was, she was preparing for 12 years. She was preparing. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and I would expect, and, and you would know the answer to this better than anyone, that there may even be some relief after an extended illness for um, the loved ones, even amidst the grief. I guess I would say, Anne, that it's it's a um, parallel paths because I did feel a great relief for her because her body yeah. just could not live any longer. Uh, yeah. it, it it was not a, a good home. Um, mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say I was relieved to be without her, right? Of course. <laughs> Of, of course not. Yes, and exactly. and I wasn't I wasn't relieved to then have to figure out how to, you know, raise the children, keep the house going, make a, you know, uh, the, none of that was a relief, but I was keenly relieved for her. So maybe yeah. that's the maybe that's the bottom line on that. Um, but, you know, we're talking today and your book, of course, captures this so well. We're talking today about how you prime yourself to to make something out of your challenges as opposed to, you know, why waste them? I mean, they happen anyway, right? Um, right. And uh, you're, you and your co-author um, really make a case for that being possible in a very practical way, not just in a theoretical way. Um mm-hmm. But isn't that the bottom line? You can make something out of your challenges. And your your calling card is all the challenges you've made something out of. Yes. And and I think that the possible is the word there, that it's possible. And then it's in you and that it's up to you to choose that. And that's where I think a lot of us give away our power of choice or we forget perhaps that we have that choice because we don't see it when we're in it. And, um, and as we're coming through a, a difficult circumstance or situation, it is the ability, I think, to find that choice and to see that opportunity to, to create a shift and, and, and move into something that's a, a more empowering. And for me, it's always about making it, what can I do? How can I grow? How can I learn? How can I 
and when it's about a loss of a loved one, it's like, how can I honor them? And I'm not honoring them if my head's in the sand or under the covers and I, and I, and I'm, you know, I started with two glasses of wine. Now it takes six just to get me to sleep. And then I wake up and I feel terrible the next day and I'm not doing anything that helps anybody. I had to figure out that it is how I honor them is how I live. So I had to choose something that's very affirming, not just for me, but that that's what truly is the best way that I can honor them. Whether it was my son, my sister-in-law, my, my mother, my father, all the, the friends, my laundry list of loss is long. <laughs> and I, and I, I say that, you know, with it, because I keep thinking, wow, how much more can I take? But with each one I've learned and I've had the blessing of being, of holding my son when he passed. I see a gift in that now. I was with my father as he took his last breath. I was with my mother as she took her last breath. I was with my beloved Malamute dog as he crossed over. And I, I, I cherish those moments now. Was I devastated? Was I emotional? Was, did I grieve? You bet. <laughs> you bet. But I went uh. through it because the difficulty, the pain was only as deeply as I'd loved them. And I feel blessed uh, that's, that I can that's be a beautiful. That's a beautiful place to end for the day. Thanks so much for being with me. And, and uh, audience, please look up The Gift of Shift. Next week, I'll Thank have you. Mickey Rowe author of Fearlessly Different, an autistic actor's journey to Broadway's biggest stage. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening.